Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 294. We are inching up to that 300 mark. Can you fucking believe it? No, this is like the longest relationship I've ever had. Literally same. And uh, do you remember when we were like, oh my God, episode 100? Yeah. That was 200 episodes ago. That's wild. Well, you know why we were able to do that? Because of Patreoners like Anna S. from New York. And Meg T. from Texas. You really did lose your Texas. I did. Well, either way, thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. And if you want extra content every single week, just like Anna and Meg are getting, head on over to patreon.com slash apcpodcast. Hit them with the Texas since I suck. Texas. See, perfect. So, uh, Halloween's over. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> Colby was so excited to take down the outside decorations because he wanted to mow. Oh my gosh. Like he was like, okay, I'm going to, tomorrow, I'm going to come home. I'm going to take them all down and I'm going to mow, okay? And then I'm going to weed eat, but I'm going to mow, okay? And I was like, okay. Like he was so excited. And then he also ordered another camera for outside. So... I mean, it was like a whole thing. There was cameras being put up. There was dust flying everywhere because, you know, it hasn't, I don't know, rained here since 1937. It was a whole thing. It literally rained earlier this week. Did it? Yes. Oh, well, it was still very dusty. (laughs) We had, I think, four trick-or-treaters at my house, which is four times as many as we had last year. God, I know. I was so hyped that you would have trick-or-treaters and it's never worked out. But I will say that I loved seeing all the costumes in the Facebook group. And then at work, everyone had shared theirs and like all their kids and all the things. And I'm like, I love being able to see it. It's like a virtual thing, you know, because I don't get to see it in real life. Yeah, it was really cool seeing everybody's costumes. And exactly what I said was going to happen about my costume looking like a farmer had happened. Okay, but that doesn't even fucking make sense because... Every other person had on overalls. No, I know. But my specific overalls are farmer. They are the Liberty overalls with the green zipper. My coworker was like, yeah, except Carrie looks like a farmer. I was like, I knew I fucking looked like a farmer. And he's like, it's the green zipper for me. And I was like, I fucking told everybody that. And nobody believed I was going to look like a fucking farmer. But yes, here I did. I get the overalls. Yes. But I would never be like, You look like a farmer because you clearly look like a minion. (laughs) Y'all, I had these welding glasses that Colby, of course, knew about that we got from Harbor Freight. So they were like, I literally paid $8 for my costume this year because I only had to buy the goggles. Already had the yellow shirt and borrowed the overalls. So it was glorious. But I wore those damn goggles all day. And there was a point where it was literally digging into my forehead because... You know, I got the back hump in my head, and so the little (laughs) strap kept slipping up, you know? Uh Uh-huh. But it was a really good day. We did, like, a potluck at work and all the things, and so it's been, like, a downhill slope for the week after that, because that was, like, Friday fun, but on a Tuesday. So the rest of the week has been very boring and long. I can't get used to my schedule, because my Thursdays are my Fridays. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. And, yeah, and so... My Sundays are Mondays, and so it is just like, I cannot get in that rhythm of that. Also, I've been doing overtime, so, Yeah, I was going to say, I literally was about to say, and you've been doing overtime, so I don't know when your day off actually is. (laughs) Yeah, but it's so hard, because it's just like, wait, I'm not coming back after today? Like, this is my weekend? Meanwhile, this bitch is so stressed out, and then add more hours, and I'm like, take a fucking break. 
girl needs money, so uh, OT it is. I got to get it while they're offering it, you know? Yeah, for sure. No, I get that. Y'all, I tried to watch that Suburban Scream. It's with an S, but okay. Suburban Screams, plural. Um, I could not get into it. Is it John Carpenter? I don't fucking know. Oh, okay. What, is that a member of the Carpenters? Oh, my God, hush. uh, Holidays? I'm just kidding. I I know you know who he is. Uh, Do I, though? Yes. Well, you know, maybe not his name, but, you know, like Halloween, the Uh, movie? Yeah. That's him. Gotcha. Okay. 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 Yeah, I know him. (laughs) I mean, a lot of other stuff, too, but... Well, well, look, we only started the first one... And we were so stoked to watch it because my sister told us about it. And so we were like, okay, okay. And then like Colby started doing something, which is not him. Like he is, doesn't like play on his phone. What? Who are you talking about? While he's watching stuff that he's really interested in. Because I've never seen that boy sit through a whole damn movie. Because he's like playing on his TikTok, eating dinner, watching it. Like, I'm like, how did he watch that? you're, You're so right. Okay. I was like, I know. I don't live with him, but I'm over here when he watching TV. And that boy never just his own, like, yes, zoned in. But if it's, like, something that we together are sitting down and watching, he sits down and watches it. Now, if he's watching a movie that I'm not watching with him, he's like, I'm like, how are you even watching? Like, you literally took a nap in the middle of the movie. Like, how are you, how do you know what's going uh-huh. on? Uh-huh. But I've seen a couple people post about it in the Facebook, and they freaking love it. So y'all got to give it a try and tell me what y'all think. Well, I will. Also, we've been um, watching the American Horror Stories, like the little ones, Mm -hmm. which we realized that we had already seen season two, but not one and three. I don't know what we did or how we watched those. Yeah, well, season three just came out. I know, but we watched season two and not season one. I feel like I didn't love all of them. Maybe it was season two I didn't like that much. I don't know. One of them, I was just like, it started off so strong. And then, but I'm going to get hate for this. I know. That's just like on par with American Horror Stories for me. Like it starts out, oh my God, I can't wait for the next episode. And then I just feel like it kind of goes like how you say it jumps, jumps the, the shark. shark. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what was that? The the one, the American Horror Story season for me that I was like, what was the double feature, which I get now, like it was like two different seasons in one, you know, but the one with the clown and it was like the freak show. Yeah, was it the was it that one? Yeah. And then like it like completely changed mid season, but it wasn't the double feature one. I was like, wait, you could have done so much more with that clown, and it was just like, and that part's over. Yeah. So I feel like that's just how it is. Like the first like three episodes, I'm like, holy shit, these are so good, and then kind of just fades out for me. Because I feel like it's hard to do that kind of storyline in that many episodes because it could almost be like a really long movie. Yeah. And so, I mean, you kind of run out of content for 13 episodes or however many there are. Yeah. Well, y'all don't know this is an elephant in the room, but I have on different glasses and... uh... (laughs) Was this a test? To see if I would say something? No. Well, oh, okay. she failed, but... Yeah, well, I know, I did notice, though. I just... That's I, how everyone can say, oh, I noticed. No, I no, no. didn't say anything. But these, you've, these are not new glasses, yeah. though. Yeah. So, it's not like, did you get new glasses? No, you, you change glasses like I change underwear. No. I have had those same green ones on for, like, months and months and months. But you've, you owned these already. Yeah. Um, but I haven't worn them in, like, a year. But it's because the green ones are big. And even though they piss me off when I'm hot because they slide down, they give my my face that's growing, you know, room to breathe. So, you know, everything else is a little tight. These aren't. But anyway, so remember how I've lost remotes in my couch? You lost your fucking glasses in your couch? <laughs> yes. Donna. 
But I have found the remote. Looking for your glasses? <laughs> no. Oh. Okay, so I have three remotes, y'all. <laughs> this is why you need overtime. <laughs> well, and what's so funny is that the third one, you could tell the, like, the, like, more strapped for cash I got, like, the worse the uh, remotes were. Yeah. You know, and it was, like, one that was kind of, like, the original. This third one, not so much, you know, like, I hated it. It didn't, like, work correctly, but it was, like, it is what it is. That's what I can afford, and I gotta watch TV. Well, I was hating it so much, and I lost it. I was, like, let me find these, because I had, like, opened up my couch, done all the things, um... The Velcro in the back. You never took the Velcro off? No, because I can see underneath the thing. I don't know. And I like did something and I hit it. And I was like, that was kind of hard. And like I took it off and it was like a pinata. <laughs> like legit. It was like all your dog toys. <laughs> so did that. Well, the other day I woke up because I was asleep on the couch. And um, well, I'll tell you, I slept really hard this night. I was watching Creep Mom and then play games and... Then I woke up with my phone still in my hand and they call it putting me to bed when they have to like sign me out of discord. Because she's snoring on them. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I woke up and I was like, what the hell happened? You know? And then I was like, oh, let me put on my glasses. Wait, where are my glasses? Thomas J can't see without his glasses. (laughs) And so I had actually slept a little later and I needed to do something that morning. I think go to the doctor. And so like, I didn't have time to like, get down, look all the things like I just like kind of opened the couch, like made the recliners recline and all of that. And I was like, well, putting on new glasses. And then, you know, as you do, like you leave the laundry in the dryer, I've just left my glasses in the couch and worn these. Thank God you had another pair. Oh, God. So tomorrow, I'm gonna find my glasses. You're lucky you're not like Colby that time his phone dropped in the black hole with his feet up. When he went to put the feet down to get it, it cracked the back of his phone. Oh my gosh. Oh, I've definitely messed up some glasses in bed though, like rolling around and I'm like, by herself she's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sadly, I am not a solid sleeper like you. Like you can go to bed and wake up in the same. Sometimes, not always. Not me. I toss and I turn and everything else, but God, anyway, I just, I forgot to tell you. And then I was like, wait, I feel the different classes. (laughs) Yep, my couch. It's the Cave of Wonders. Well, before we get into the story, we got to talk about, well, some more of Donna's Cave of Wonders. More specifically, what cleans her Cave of Wonders. Oh, real paper. Y'all know I love real paper. It is bamboo toilet paper that is delivered to your door. And y'all know how much we love bamboo products because unlike trees that it's a renewable resource, but you know, it's not unlimited. Like you cut it down, it takes years to grow a new tree. Whereas bamboo picture cutting your grass. Like you cut it off and it grows back pretty immediately versus a tree where you have to like plant it and regrow. Honestly, you can talk about my chin hair because I will shave those and they just come back real quick. But real paper is so soft and uh, you know what? Just luxurious, which is not a word you think of when you think of toilet paper, but it really is. It really is a distinct texture that I really do like. Me too. And it leaves no residue because other toilet paper that is soft and all of that, it leaves all the residue. It like falls apart in your hand and real paper does not do that. No. It's like soft and luxurious, but like tough. Yes. Like me. Oh, Lord. (laughs) 
With Real Paper, you can do a hassle-free subscription or a one-time purchase that all of it comes directly to your door with free shipping. And they're individually wrapped. I know we say it all the time, but it just feels luxurious. It feels like you're like pampering yourself and it's this really rich, but you're not spending an astronomical amount to do this. I know I've told this story like every time we talk about real, but how Donna was saying that it's individually wrapped, like Colby's mom was like, did you wrap your toilet paper? Like she was like, it looks so good. I'm like, I mean, it came that way, but doesn't it look fancy? Yes. I love it. And seriously, it's like, if someone comes over, I'm like, go use the toilet paper, go do it. Cause it's going to be so great. Like I love it so much. She's not like, I've literally heard her say that to somebody. (laughs) And 10 out of 10, they recommend. So y'all need to try out this real good toilet paper. You know, real and real. Got it. But even better than how good this toilet paper is, Real has partnered with One Tree Planted and with every box of Real that you buy, they're funding the reforestation efforts across the country. So unlike other toilet paper that cuts down trees, Real is literally helping to actively plant them. And like we said, our favorite part, other than how great it is, is that it's conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping in 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. So go to realpaper.com slash creep and sign up for a subscription using code creep at checkout. You'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's realpaper, R-E-E-L, paper, dot com slash creep and enter promo code creep to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Real is paper for the planet. You will not be disappointed. Again, that's realpaper.com slash creep. Use promo code creep for 30% off your first order and free shipping. While we're talking about our bombs, we got to continue talking about them because they have never been cleaner. We might have a dirty mouth, but we got a clean bum. Y'all know how much your girl loves a bidet. Like, it is truly my favorite thing in life. And Hello Tushy has been the bidet for me. And look, I still do dry wipe, though. Because that's I think that's the thing that took Donna so long to get on board with the bidets. Is that she was like, ooh. But I'm like, girl, I still do a dry wipe. And she still wipes. But sometimes you just need a little extra, extra. Yes, definitely. And it's good for preparation if you're hooking up. I'm just going to say it. Oh, it's good pre and post hooking up. However, I am a bidet girl through and through, and I use it every time. Number one or number two, I'm splashing my undercarriage. (laughs) You had to take it to the car wash, and that's okay, because you know what? Bidets are self-care for the selfless. Because you have to use the bathroom and that's just one way that you can take care of yourself because you know a lot of times we don't take care of ourselves. This is something you can do. And guess what? Your bum will thank you. What's so great about Tushy Bidets is that they hook into the plumbing system that you already have. There's no electricity that you have to hook up. You literally hook it into the stuff that is already there and it's so easy. Donna can do it. These things sit up in like eight minutes. Honestly, I take longer to go number two than that. Also, just know that when you're using Hello Tushy Bidet, the water is not coming from the toilet bowl. Right. It is coming directly from the water line. That's what you're hooking into. And it's fresh, clean water that is making you so fresh and so clean, clean. Because I know before y'all got on the bidet train, I didn't understand it. I thought it was the same thing. And I'm like, ooh, no. But no, you're way cleaner when you use a bidet. For real, Hello Tushy Bidet's fresh stream of water cleans your bum 
two times better than wiping. Even if you use like wet wipes, you're still basically just smearing your poop around and not washing it off. You're literally just smearing it around. Also, something about bidets, they're really accessible because sometimes you hurt your back. Sometimes any, you know, like things happen, you know, we're accident prone and all you have to do is turn a knob. You don't have to like stretch to wipe, do anything to wipe. What if you like hurt your arm or something? Well, when you said that, I was literally going to say, do you know how many times I've recommended to a patient to get a bidet because they had surgery on their hand or their shoulder and they can't reach anymore for months on end? Hello Tushy is there for you. It's their best friend. Like we said, it attaches to your existing toilet, no electricity, no additional plumbing, and it will cut your toilet paper use by 80%. Literally, Hello Tushy Bidet pays for itself in a year. So take care of yourself from the bottom up this holiday season and visit hellotushy.com forward slash creep and use promo code creep for 10% off your first order. And use promo code creep for 10% off your first order. Don't miss out on their spend and get event going on now through November 18th. Oh, and also there is a warm water bidet called the Tushy Spa that's available. Warm water is just the way to go. So you got to go to hellotushy.com forward slash creep and use promo code creep for 10% off your first order. Okay, picture it. We are going to New Brunswick, New Jersey. So picture this area. I'm sure you've heard of Rutgers University. Yeah. So the area that we're talking about, there's a church. And on one side was the more like well-to-do families. Like picture like the Johnson & Johnson fortune money. Like all of that. And this neighborhood eventually became Rutgers University. But like the houses and stuff that like the president lives in were these people's houses. Then on the other side of the church was the lower income area. And... Even though these two areas were worlds apart, they met in the middle at this Episcopal church. Okay, all I can think about is here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. Okay, that's not what I said. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. Wait, what did I say? What did you say? I felt like I said the same no, thing. See, no, I don't think I say all. Here's the church. I might have said steeples because I'm like <laughs> old and I added S to everything, but I'm pretty sure we said the same thing. When you were going through it, I was like, that's not what I say. But then I think I really did just repeat you. That is our life. It, it truly is. So the reverend of this church, his name is Reverend Edward Wheeler Hall. Whew, that's a mouthful. I wonder he, if he is. Okay, it's a preacher, <laughs> but okay. So he was born in Brooklyn, went to get his theology degree in New York, and ended up moving to New Jersey in 1909. This is a bit of an old story. Eventually, a position became open at the Evangelist Episcopal Church in New Brunswick. When he got this position at the church, he was younger and really brought life into the church. He brought in different, like, entertainment to get, like, the community involved, all the things. Who was he? Sister Act? (laughs) I mean, kind of. (laughs) But it said that old Eddie was a little into the richer side of the church like because he was single he was looking to mingle but like with the wealthier women well of course so insert francis noel stevens now she was about eight years older than edward okay sorry i don't know why i'm interrupting you so much but do you know whose first name is francis they were in a movie and 
like you didn't really know their name was Francis, but they do say it like one time. The character or the actual person? The, the character. All I can think about is that's his name on Blue Bloods. No. Give me another hint. It's a girl. Ever after? No. Give me another hint. It's older than that. Another hint. Oh, 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 it's Grace. No. God damn it. <laughs> I thought that was Frenchie's real name. God, you got so excited and I thought you had it, but no. Okay, give me another hint. It's Dirty Dancing. Oh, God damn it. Baby. Yes. I <laughs> was close. So, Frances was very rich. And she was really involved in the church, too. So that's how they met, because like I said, she was super involved, and he paid a little bit more attention to the wealthy. Also, I love that when I thought about this, it was a female, and you went straight to Blue Bloods, the the guy. That's literally the only Francis I could think of. <laughs> it said that Francis was worth about $1.7 million then, which would be like $30 million in our day. Holy shit. The amount of student loans I could pay. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And she was one of those that had connections on literally every side of her family with somebody. Like the Johnson and Johnsons. Her great grandfather literally dumped the tea in the water at the Boston Tea Party. Like they were like what you think of when you think of early American money. Yeah. So old Eddie was really into Francis. Now, a bunch of things talk about how he really was into her for the money. They talk about that she wasn't the most beautiful person in the world, yada, yada, yada. I mean, we're we're not, uh, fuck off. I don't like them basically being like, she wasn't pretty. So, of course, he only loved her for her money. You yeah. Know? Now, there was another parishioner in the church. Her name was Eleanor Mills. She was from the other side of the church. She was married to James Mills, who was a sexton in the church. Do you know what that is? No. Me neither, and I didn't look it up. However, most most of the things said he was um, unemployed otherwise, but I did see some stuff that he had like like a blue-collar type job. Yeah. So, James and Eleanor had two kids. Now, Edward and Francis didn't have any kids. Now, here's the thing. Eleanor and Edward were having an affair. Oh, shit. She was also, like I said, really involved in the church. She was in the choir, did a lot of volunteer work as well. She was more conventionally beautiful and younger. Basically, the only person their affair was a secret to were their spouses. It was like everybody in the church knew, but the spouses didn't. How is that okay for your preacher, like for you to know that? I know, I know. Like, I I know everyone is human and everyone sins or whatever you want to say makes mistakes, but... For them to sit up there and tell me not to do something when I'm like, you're blatantly doing something Mm -hmm. that you preach against. Now, there's books, there's stories, there's like movies, there's all kinds of stuff on this story. So with that said, there's a lot of information that's in some things that some stuff may say kind of otherwise, because something said that like he was over at her house every single night. Some stuff made it seem like they just kind of passed notes between hymnals and stuff. I did listen to a podcast that talked about that they had like a secret meeting place that was supposedly in this like abandoned barn, but it was like a whole setup. Like it had like a bed, it had a telephone, there was no dust, there was all these things and so I'm not I'm not sure but she had kids so I don't know how often she was able just to drop everything and go meet him 
Yeah, because if he was a sexton at the church, the her husband, yeah. he'd be working at night more. Right. So she could... Now, her kids were older. Like, when this story takes place, her daughter was 15. Her son was, like, I think 11 or something. So oh, you they left are, that out. Well, they, but still, though, it's 19. Like, she's not just going to be like, gotta go. Yes, they were, because eight-year-olds would work in the mines. You're right about that. But Eleanor's house didn't have a phone. So she would have to, like, go to use a phone somewhere too. So it's not like they were just like hanging out all night on the phone and do, you know, I feel like they had to be a little more calculated. And while the congregation knew, like, you know, everybody kind of knew what was going on. It wasn't just the fact that they were having the affair that pissed them off. It was the fact that he was upper class and she was like working poor that made people angry too, because they felt like you should not cross those class systems, which is gross. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm like, no, it's even worse for him because I feel like he's in a place of authority. Exactly. With that, he has the money like to hold that over her head. Mm-hmm. All of that, like that power dynamic. I could fire your husband from being the sexton of the church. Yeah. Absolutely. So on Tuesday, September 14th, 1922, Edward's at home. And again, remember, he's the pastor the whatever of this church so he does get a lot of calls to go out at night to help parishioners with tons of things so he gets a call around 7 30 at night and the maid at the house answers the phone and is like hey it's for you and he's like cool comes to get the phone and the maid hears him say yes yes that's too bad yeah can't we make arrangements for about 8 15 cool bye right after that call edward leaves Well, the next morning, the maid is about to make breakfast when she realizes Edward's not there. So she asks Francis, like, hey, will he be coming for breakfast? You know, kind of trying to pretend like she didn't really notice that his hat's there. But like she noticed, so like, is he coming? And Francis was like, no, he didn't come home last night. And she's like, oh my God, like, was there an accident? And Francis is like, no, I've already called the police and stuff to see if there was an accident and there wasn't. He just didn't come home last night. So it was like, oh my God, like what's going on? And two days later on September 16th, 1922, there were two teenagers walking down this lover's lane when they came up on a crab apple tree. And this was on the Phillips Farms. When they get there, they see two people laying under the tree. And the closer they get, they realize that the two people laying there were both dead. So the police come and they realize that the two people are Edward and Eleanor. Now, when the investigation very first started, they couldn't really decide whose crime scene it was because it was in between two counties and so it was like the new brunswick police get there first but it was really in franklin township so it was like whose bodies are these and so while there was some kind of talk and confusion about who would take the case onlookers started coming there was not all of this with crime scenes and roping it off and all this no people were coming people wanted to see people wanted to take souvenirs i mean like literally like picked most of the tree eventually someone literally took the tree like taking everything that they can from the crime scene as souvenirs so the crime scene now has been trampled what the actual fuck? This was also the time when tabloids were kind of starting to come along, like the Daily Mirror and all of that. And so 
there were a lot of news reporters there, and that really plays a part in this story as well. Now, what happened was pretty gruesome, so if you need to skip forward a little bit, please do. Edward had been shot one time in the head. Now, Eleanor, her death was the one that was more gruesome. She had been shot three times in the head, her throat had been cut, and her voice box and tongue had been removed. What the actual fuck? Now, her throat, where it was slashed, they had used her scarf to cover it up. And the way they were laying, they had his hand, like, kind of under her neck, kind of. And then her hand on his thigh. They were very posed. And then his hat was over his face. Like, almost like they were just laying there, napping, but not. Yeah, yeah. The idea that people pose people like their victims after they murdered them, that is just so bone chilling to me. Well, and that's the thing about this case too, is that we don't really know where they were killed because the scene was so trampled. I never saw anything about blood. Like, was there blood at the scene? Because so many things were saying that they felt like that they had been killed somewhere else and then brought there. And there's even a diagram I saw online where they think that maybe they were sitting in the back seat of a car and when they shot Edward, it went through and that was one of the shots to her. So he basically died instantly and then, you know, she went through everything she went through. She did have a few defensive wounds too. So that definitely indicates that he was killed first. But like, where's all the blood? So they had to have been taken there. But I'm like, what's the significance of this place? Because it's on somebody's farm. Some stuff says abandoned, but we find out later there is a lady who lives there. So it's like, what was the significance of this place? Well, you said it was kind of like a lover's lane. But I don't, maybe, because it said, like, it just made it seem like that that couple was like walking more towards a lover's lane. I really, this happened 100 years ago. There's just not a lot of clear information. But there were two things that were also important about this. So while they were kind of positioned, there were love letters written to each other, torn up between the body. What? Like calling card, like his business card was like set up at his feet. I mean, that's a pretty telling crime scene, right? Yeah, I'm like, that's a statement right there. Yes, absolutely. So when this all first happened... Of course, you're going to look at the spouses because again, I mean, you honestly, basically how this happened, you can see it being either spouse, like Francis being super mad at Eleanor. And so she got the brunt of it or Eleanor's husband, James, being so mad at her that he took it out on her. Because I feel like, isn't that so our culture even today, though, that you have two people in an affair and the woman is the one that gets you know, gets the brunt of it, gets the blame. It's like the wife tends to get mad at the person that they had the affair with. Like, oh, she's a home wrecker. No, he did it. He yeah. had the affair. He wrecked your home. Yeah. She may or may not have even known that. She, you know what I mean? Yeah. Frances did call police when her husband went missing. But again, there were so many different versions of this story. Like some stuff said that Frances had actually gone to the church at like, 1 or 2 a.m. to look for him and then came back home. Some stuff said that James did the same thing, like came home from work because he had a solid alibi because his kids were there and saw him. His downstairs neighbors had seen him. You know, he had a pretty decent alibi. But then I saw one instance where it said that he went to the church at 2 a.m. as well to check to see if she was there. Like, why would she be at the church if you didn't know that she was having an affair? And then 
James was even like, those letters aren't to Edward. They weren't having an affair. Those letters are written to her kids. But, like, it's basically like your body is a wonderland. Oh, shit. Like, that's not written to your kids. Yeah, it shouldn't be. Right, it's not. And, it, yeah, if it is, that brings a whole nother issue. But it, it wasn't. It was lit, written to her lover. Like, it's clearly, like, the Jody Arias of it all. We're reading it now, you know? Yeah. But Frances didn't believe that they were having an affair either, according to what she told police. But the police were like, it's got to be Francis. She had two brothers, Henry Stevens and William Carpenter Stevens, who they believed helped her and a cousin as well. So the district attorney actually took all of the information to the grand jury to be like, look, I think Henry and Willie killed him and I think she was part of it. And the grand jury was like, no, they didn't. And the case was dropped. But remember how I said that like the Daily Mirror and all of these different tabloidy newspapers were really starting to like take hold at the time. The tabloids didn't drop it. And this was like one of the most sensational stories, the Hall Mills murder, because it literally had sex, money, and murder. This was the biggest news story of its time until the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. So that just tell like that's the only thing that overshadowed this story just to kind of tell you how big this story was. So the Daily Mirror basically was like, hey, the investigators did not do a great job. We found new evidence. So eventually the governor got involved. All these people were like, no, you have to reopen this case. So the evidence that they say that they found was that Willie owned a gun and that allegedly Willie's fingerprint was on the calling card but it had been touched by so many people. That was pretty impossible to know because, again, the scene had been trampled. Like, it, you know, it was pretty hard to prove it. But then there was a woman. They called her the pig woman. Why? Because the farm that was abandoned that they, well, quote, abandoned, she owned it. And so she was a pig farmer. Oh, okay. And so, now, her name was Jane Gibson. But there was, like, a bunch of things. It's like... Also Jane Easton. Also Jane Upson. So Jane had some issues. And so she wasn't necessarily a super reliable source for this information. And so I think it was even just their kind of way to like knock her down a peg or two was to call her the pig woman. I think it was just intentionally derogatory towards her. So Jane had some information about that day. But it changed a couple of times too. So, Jane had said that she heard multiple people talking that night. That she heard two women and men talking. Like, she distinctly remembers women and men. There were times where she said she rode her mule over to the site where she heard some noise because, like, her dog was barking. And so, she was like, yeah, I got on my mule to kind of go over there. And that's when she saw the people, like, standing there arguing and so she was like, ooh, probably should head away. And then when she was leaving, she heard gunshots. And that's when she saw Edward fall. And that she says that she saw Francis, like, weeping over him. But why didn't she turn any of this in before the teenagers came upon it? Right. Well, and then why now, not when the police were doing the initial investigation? And the story did change a couple of times. One time she rode her mule out there. One time she was walking out there. You know, it just kind of changed. Like, sometimes she just says that she heard people arguing and she was walking away, heard a gunshot, turned around, saw 
Eleanor fall, kept walking, heard a gunshot, turned around, and saw Edward fall. You know, and then sometimes she's like, she saw Francis laying over. You know, it changed a couple of times. Eventually, the governor was like, open this shit back up and let's go to trial. And that they did. They took it to trial. Now, Jane was like the star witness. And it was very theatrical because, it's, I mean, the courtroom is packed. But Jane was actually sick with cancer. So she testified from a hospital bed in the courtroom. Oh my gosh. But literally while she's testifying, her mom is in the courtroom like yelling. She's a liar, a liar. Oh my God. So it's like, it's this whole thing. Like there's really literally no evidence because the whole thing was trampled. And literally the only evidence they have against Francis and her brothers is this lady whose story keeps changing. And her mom's literally shouting from the courtroom that she's a liar. Now, all three of them, Francis, Henry, and Willie, all took the stand to testify on their own behalf. Francis was like, what you got? Henry was like, literally was quoted saying, prove it. I have nothing to hide. Now, Willie, this is a terrible name for him, but I'm going to tell you because this is what he was called. He was called Nutty Willie. And so, he had a harder time on the stand than the other two, but they had a really good defense team. And their goal was to be like, look, Edward was cheating with Eleanor. They really played up the class system and all of that. And it eventually went to the jury and the jury found them all not guilty. And we still don't know who did this. You motherfucker. Literally, when you were looking at me, I was like, if she says we don't know who did this, because I don't know who it was. I know. But then you said like all the church were like kind of mad at them for doing it. And so I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be some random person that we're going to find out now. Well, there's so many theories. And, and like, this is such a huge case that there's no way I could, like, there's literal books on it. But some people believe that it was Eleanor's husband. Some people, there's like a, a link to the KKK because there was a journalist that was really pushing it. And she got a letter that was like, if you don't quit pushing for this, we're going to do to you what we did to them. Like you're and you're going to get like a burning cross in your yard kind of thing that like linked it to the KKK. There was also some weird stuff like Eleanor's daughter. I think her first, I think her name was Charlotte. Um, she got a letter from Francis being like, "Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you." Like I guess financially, like I'm so sorry this happened to your mother. So it's like I could see that going both ways of like I'm so sorry you lost your mother. Let me help you. And I don't know if she ever did, but it's also like that's kind of weird too, on the flip side. But also, like, thank you, because you're rich and could probably send her to college, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And I do think there was some just weird stuff with James, because there was, like, he had this great alibi, but then, like, all the kids went to bed. And then, like, I heard on um, True Crime All the Time, Unsolved, it talked about how when... Francis said she went to the church, the lights were off, and then when James went, he said he turned on the lights, but it was like, if he turned them on and she had them off, like, did they just miss each other, or is one of them lying? And, like, why was James's instinct to go to the church to look for Eleanor if he didn't know that they were having an affair? I know, like, so in my head, you know, in my Lifetime movie, head of it all, I'm thinking that they did it, like, together or something, like, they found out, like, how you said only they didn't know. But what if they did and that's kind of what happened and that's why they were both so like they weren't having an affair, you yeah. know, and how he's like, those weren't love letters. Yeah. Those were, you know, like it's kind of like you're protesting too much. Yeah. They weren't having an affair and it's like, okay, no one believes they weren't having an affair. Okay. Yeah. But 
Frances had a lot of money and a lot of power, so she really could have brushed this under the rug. Yeah, I keep going back to Jane and her saying that she saw Frances fall and weep and all of that. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you don't believe these people who are liars, but then like, no, they really did see that. And like, if she did have mental issues or anything like that, then she might not have been able to make out exactly what had happened. Like, you know, whatever. And it just like all pieced together. But who was involved though? Because it would have had to have been more than one person because they moved the bodies. Like even if they killed them there and posed them and all that. Like, I just don't know that Frances would have been able to do that on her own. Oh, no, I don't think it was on her own. I think like, again, her and James could have done this. And even with her brother or cousin or whoever, but like, because, you know, you can always say like, fucking kill him. I wouldn't want to do anything. But then when that happens, it's like, oh my God, he's dead. Yeah. And so then she could have like thrown herself and been like, what did I do? Yeah. Because also it could be just how you told the story, but like how the the maid was like, is he coming? And she's like, no, like I've called the police and you know, like, yeah, like she wasn't, she was worried, but she also wasn't like, there's no time to eat. Like, I have to find my husband. What's going on? This is so weird. Yeah. Like, it was just more like, no, I, I don't know. So yeah. that was just also weird. But who knows? Nobody. Because you left it unsolved. Well, and literally everybody that's part of this story now has passed away. Yeah. It's literally been, last year was 100 years. Shit. So, I mean, it's it's never, I mean, the odds of it ever being solved is... It's not going to happen. No. But think about this. The gun that was used probably has been passed down. Oh, shit. Unless they, like, got rid of it. Yeah. Like, it's probably, like, a family heirloom. Yeah. That they don't know. They have no idea that it's a gun that was used in a murder. They just think it's great Poppy Joe's <laughs> yeah. gun. Yeah. Whoa. Mostly, I just feel sorry for Eleanor's kids. Because they're just the innocent bystanders in all of this. Yeah. Well, all of them are innocent in the way that they shouldn't be accused of murder if they didn't do it. Yeah. And also, even though they're having an affair, they shouldn't be murdered because of that. So it's like, I don't know. This is a hard one. Well, and even if the family, let's just say that truly Francis and James did not know about the affair. Like their marriage, aside from the fact that their spouse has been murdered, is what they thought of their marriage is completely shattered. Yeah, that's so hard. Like you're losing that person twice because then you're going to be mad at them. Right. But how are you mad at someone who's passed and like who's been murdered? Right. Not even just like, wow, he's dead now. Like, no, he got murdered and you don't know who it's by Mm -hmm. or anything. Okay, before we talk about Donna's story, we have to babble about babble. I feel like most people want to know another language. Oh, yeah, 100. Did you know that only 22% of Americans speak a language other than English at home? I can't say I'm surprised because uh, I'm one of those people who speak English only. Well, with Babbel, you can start speaking a new language in just three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations. All of Babbel's tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings. Just think about the money that you're going to save not paying for a private tutor or 
having to go to school and learn this because you don't have to. Because using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. And let me tell you, if you know anything about Carrie, you know she does not like those student loans. You don't have to pay the student loans to use Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons that are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language, like, real quick. And We've talked about this before about how much the app it's super user friendly and I really do like that it do, it truly does start with conversation. It starts with like, "Hey, how are you?" not "Where's the library?" This is milk. Yeah, it's more about how to order that milk. You know, things that you're going to need. When have you ever ordered milk anywhere? Well, I'm not I'm just saying it's about ordering the food. No, it's I not just you. saying like, "Oh, this is how you say this word, this food." No, it's how do you acquire it? Yeah. No, I know. I'm just teasing you because you don't do milk, especially in a clear glass. Oh, no, no, no. With Babbel, you can do games. There's self-study lessons. There's podcasts. There's live classes. There's so many ways to make Babbel work for you and start, again, having real-world conversations. In as little as three weeks. And it just takes 10 minutes a day. So to start your new language journey right now, you can get... 55% off your Babbel subscription when you go to babbel.com slash creep. Just think about it. In three weeks, that's before Christmas. So you can go home for the holidays and dazzle them knowing a new language. So go to babbel.com slash creep. Get 55% off. Rules and restrictions may apply. Go to babbel.com slash creep and you will get 55% off your Babbel subscription. Y'all, Stitch Fix is back. Did y'all know that I am so bougie? I have a stylist now. Oh, Lord. I knew you got the big head. I mean, Donna has one too. And you can too if you get Stitch Fix. My stylist... And y'all's too, because I guess I'm not that special, is a fashion expert that will shop for you because they know what you like. When you sign up, you start picking outfits that you like, you don't like, literally all the things from accessories to dress clothes to casual clothes to business wear. And all in between, the stylist picks you some different things that they think will brighten up your wardrobe. And Stitch Fix is the perfect opportunity for you to try bolder patterns. Anything that you've been like, I don't know, tell your stylist. You can send them a message and tell them like, hey, I'm starting a new job. I want to try bolder patterns for the weekends out. I want to do all of these things. And they're going to tailor that Stitch Fix box for you, for what you're wanting. And the more you do Stitch Fix, the longer you're with them, the more information you give them, the better the boxes are going to be for you. So every time I get a box, if I love something, obviously I keep it. If I don't love something, I can send it back and I let them know why I didn't like it. It may be a price. It may be it was too small. It may be it was too big. Maybe you didn't like the style, whatever. But the more you go through looking at the clothes and saying, I like this, I don't like this, I like this, I don't like this. Like the other day, I told my stylist, I do not want a cold shoulder. I am tired of the cold shoulder look for plus size people and I don't want it in my box. So it isn't there anymore. Well, why do you always give me the cold shoulder? You deserve it. Look, we all want to be shared from Clueless. You know you love that part of that movie, and I want to do that too. But I kind of can. Yeah, and you don't have to have it at your closet. You could be on the toilet and still saying, yes, I like this. No, I don't like that. Also, it goes from extra small to 3X. And let me just tell you that I 
in some things and bigger than a 3X, but everything that they have picked for me has actually fit. Because I said I do like stretch. I like, you know, I don't like something that's too tailored. So again, it just, you have to have a conversation with them. They are your personal stylist. They're here to help you. So like Donna said, you share with your stylist, your sizes, your budget. You take the quick style quiz and you're going to get five items in a fix right to your door. You try on everything at home, you keep what you like, and you send back the rest. And even better, shipping and returns are always free. And they provide the return bag, which I love because no one has time to go and do all the things. And the label's already on there. So it's easy to try them on and send them back if you don't like them. Keep them if you do. And thanks to Stitch Fix, they just get me. And they're going to get you too. So Try Stitch Fix today. Go to stitchfix.com slash creep and you're going to get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash creep. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X dot com slash creep for 25% off your order when you keep everything in your fix. Okay, so for mine, we are not going to be in New York. We're going to Nevada, Virginia City, Nevada, to be exact. And it is a boomtown in every literal sense of the word. It was a mining town, so it had lots of chaos, energy, and death, but also a boomtown for paranormal activity. But there is one place that houses a haunted object that I wanted to talk about, and that's the Bonanza Saloon. And the object is the suicide table, which I'll talk about in a minute. A little bit more about Virginia City, though. It's located about 20, 25 miles southeast of Reno. It was developed in 1859 when the first major silver deposit was discovered. So it spurred a lot of different mining operations to head there and, you know, strike it rich. So in 1862, the population was around 4,000. But then in just a year, it had shot up to over 15,000. Dang. So for comparison, it was like Dallas today. But then the end came around the 1880s, just a few years after the Great Fire of 1825, which caused over $12 million in damage. And what year? 25. And it caused that much damage? Mm Mm-hmm. Good God, what would that be in today's money? Girl, you know, I don't know. A truck ton. Truck ton? (laughs) Fuck ton? Mother trucker. So, Ghost Adventures has went there, of course. And let me just say, the guys were cracking me up before their investigation. This was one of those good episodes that you, like, you enjoy and it felt like what it used to be. I don't know. But there was a kid whose birthday was going on and they found out that she loved them because, like, they were in the street, the main little part, and they were doing some stuff. And this little girl who looked like little Donna, 100%, like, big pink bow in her hair, She saw them and she was like, and they were talking and the mom was like, she loves y'all. And she was like, I do, I do. And so (laughs) they got her and they like were talking to her about stuff and it was her birthday. And so they all sang happy birthday to her and stuff. And it was just so silly and fun. I was like, I miss these days. And it wasn't that long ago, but still like, it just seems like a world apart from where they are sometimes now. 
But okay, so the owner, he goes by Doc, but his name is Vince Malfitano, I think is how you say his last name. He's been the owner of the Bonanza Saloon since 2014. Now, there was an explosion that happened in March 2019 of the Delta Saloon, which is another business of Doc's. And there's a lot of mystery surrounding that. Like, they still haven't figured out what caused the fire, but... This is what Doc thinks has transformed the Bonanza Saloon into a darker energy. Like, yeah, they had some like residual energy going on. But then when that happened at the Delta Saloon, which I'll tell you a little bit more about in a minute, shit started getting real. So in that saloon, in the Delta Saloon, there was something known as the suicide table. And Everything around this table was damaged in that explosion, but that table didn't have a scratch on it. So they moved the suicide table over to the Bonanza Saloon. And again, that's when shit started going down. You know, before the Bonanza Saloon had just, you know, the normal doors closing and opening, phantom footsteps, and there had been an apparition of a woman who waved from the balcony, some disembodied voices of women laughing, sometimes crying. But then it was starting to get real. One of the workers said that she had heard this locker open and shut by her while she was working at the register, but she was like, it's an old building, it's settling, whatever. But then it said her name. And even though, you know, they said walls can talk, she was like, uh, that's a fucking spirit. And that's an intelligent spirit. And ever since the suicide table has been there, shit's gotten dark. I really hate the name of this table. Me too. But that's what it's called. So what is a suicide table? I think this one is the only one in existence still because it's a gambling table. It was for Pharaoh, and that was like a game of the Cowboys back in the 1800s. I thought you meant like the person Pharaoh. The game was called Pharaoh? Yeah, so some people spell it that way, but then how a lot of people spell it is F-A-R-O. Oh. But it was originally a French gambling game, and basically there's a banker and there's players. So it's like a dealer and players. But it's like a win or lose. So whatever card the banker or dealer turns up, if it matches the cards already on the table, those people win. Well, three previous owners, and all three pretty much have the same story, they pulled out their gun and they died by suicide right there at the table. Oh my God. So like in 1861, there is a man named Black Jake And he had a reputation of being greedy and a gambler. So he had bought the table and started offering pharaoh games. Lots of miners lost lots of money. And Black Jake was just raking in the cash. But one night, a miner bet all he had on the final hand of a game. And luck be a lady or whatever the fuck they say, the miner won. So he like just kept, he was also a gambler. So he just kept like, okay, double or nothing, you know, to keep doing it. And he was on a hot streak and he ended up winning so much that the house didn't have enough money to back up the payout. Oh shit. So that's when Black Jake stood up, pulled out his gun and he died by suicide at the table because he was the owner of the table and he's like, I can't do anything. And that's what he did. So because he couldn't foot the bill. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I know. But also like, 
not to like make light of the situation, but I think about that minor. What happens to him? So true. Because like, okay, so do I get the money? Like, you don't want to be a bitch and be like, but where's my money at? Because someone literally just died. Right. But also that's potentially like life-changing money for him. Mm -hmm. So he's like, but my family. Yeah. Anyway, so since Pharaoh was really easy for the house to cheat, it started losing its appeal. Because, okay, it really favored the players. But the house couldn't have that. So again, came the cheaters. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) But I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like it was one of those games that you're like, yeah, maybe I'll play. And then it's like, oh, shit, I'm pretty good at this. It's like those good slot machines where you're like, oh, yeah, this one's good. It's loose or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then like the next week, it's different or they moved them or whatever. And it's like, oh, yeah, they couldn't have that. They couldn't let you win. You know, you got to reel them in and that's what they do to me. I know what that's like because me and Tiffany still talk about a slot machine game that me, her, I think all of my family, but I remember my mom and dad, we all played it and it was so much fun and it was always packed. It was the one that like people stood behind you just Mm. waiting, but no one really lost money there, you know, like because you, even if you didn't win a whole lot, you'd still played, you know, but I remember a man won like 5,000 beside me and me and Tiffany were like, holy fuck. You know, that's a lot of fucking money. Yeah, it is. And like, I don't know, but the next time we went, they weren't there anymore, you know? So anyway, so I get that. But because of that, people started hating the Pharaoh game because of those dealers who would cheat. I fucking hate cheating. Mm Mm-hmm. So then there was another owner, but no one really talks about that one. But he also died by suicide at that table. And so after there were two deaths with this table it was put into storage but eventually it was bought by a third owner and his name was charles fogard i believe like i don't know if that's how you say his last name but it's f-o-s-g-a-r-d you know sometimes s is silent he was a wealthy man and he wanted to open up a gambling establishment so he repurposed the old pharaoh table as a blackjack table and he was really successful until one night There is a miner who came in, was having terrible luck, but he decided he would bet his last possession that he had. It was a gold ring. And surprisingly, he won that hand. So then he bet the money he won on that hand again and again, and he kept winning. Turned out that Charles didn't have any more money, the owner of that establishment, but he was like, this miner's luck is going to change. Like he's literally bet his gold ring like he was down and out so charles was like the again charles is the owner he bet his horses that he had and the miner won oh my gosh then charles put up some of his properties that he had oh my god and the miner just kept winning those hands Charles, the owner, had to pay out over $85,000, which BoulderCityReview.com said was over $2.5 million in today's money. Holy shit. Yeah, to this miner who literally had bet his last possession and then had a stroke of luck. And this was too much for Charles, and he became the third victim of the suicide table. And so let's go back to Ghost Adventures now. So Zach asked Doc, the owner of the Bonanza Saloon, if it weighs heavy on his mind that there's only been three owners before him and all have died by suicide. 
And Doc was like, yeah, I mean, it does. It's in the back of my mind. But while they're talking about that, the table starts giving off EMF readings, which it wasn't before. So Doc was like, okay, so here's the thing. We don't allow anyone to touch this table anymore. So there's like a plexiglass over it. And he's like, the fact that you place that EMF reader on it might have like awoken something. And Zach was like, I mean, something's going on because that table has no electricity to it. Nothing around it was given off anything. And that EMF reader was going off wild. And so Zach was just like, this proves that there's some residual energy from the three previous owners at this table. So then the guys meet Doug, who's a paranormal investigator who's been there before, and they're in the basement of the saloon. Now, the rumors have been that the entities don't really play nice with females down there. So they had two women who were in their group, and they put them down there, and they started talking. Well, almost instantly, you could see a black mist form and then come down on those two women. One felt like she was being grabbed inappropriately, and the other felt like she was trying to be like someone taking over her body. That lady fell to the ground like it knocked her out completely. But luckily, she was able to be revived and she started breathing again. But Doug was like, I think she was technically dead for those few moments down there. God. And of course, Zach was like, do you think it's a demon? And Doug was like, no, but I think it's a really nasty human spirit down there and it's strong. So naturally, Billy and Aaron are sent to the basement and into that part that they call the shed, just like the women were. And they were able to capture some EMF readings again and an EVP of a woman screaming, which was on par for how women feel down in that basement, particularly in that shed part. Now, Zach turned his focus to a mannequin in the saloon that was up in like a glass case. And he said that when he was reading about the mannequin, like who it was supposed to be, he felt something. He didn't understand what he was feeling, but it was something. So the mannequin is made after Julia Boulette. She's like known as the most gorgeous madam of them all. She was the favorite of every man in town and she was hated by every quote, respectable woman. But Julia was more than a madam. She had arrived in Virginia City in the 1850s when there was a lot of death going on. And she was the only female around and the only one who was there to nurse them. So a lot of the miners say that she saved them. Like she really would travel uphill both ways, even in the snow, to make sure they got soup or medicine or anything like that. So meanwhile, she was this wonderful fucking person, but people were jealous of her appearance Mm -hmm. and or she was deemed less than because certainly she could only just be beautiful. She couldn't be the total package. So we should hate her. Exactly. Well, she even helped the fire department and they gave her like an honorary helmet and shirt for everything. You know, like there's pictures of her with this. Now, on January 1867, Julia was murdered over the jewelry she wore by a man named John Mullane. Now, the men in the town took it upon themselves. It was like a year later when this all came out to hunt him down and hang him for his crimes. Because again, she was beloved by many of the miners and all of these people, you know. Someone famous witnessed that hanging. (gasps) Who? Mark Twain. Shit. 
I'm surprised you know who that one is. I was going to say, I even know that one. (laughs) He was supposedly a friend of Julia's. And it said that Julia had one of the biggest funerals ever held in Virginia City. Thousands of miners marched in her funeral procession. Honestly, they did way more than I thought they would. Like, I was really expecting to be pissed at how much she did for them and how little they did for her in her death. And I have been pleasantly surprised in this story. Yeah, and like the miners like left their job for that day and was like, no, we're doing this. And so like they risk everything to show her respect. That's really awesome. So Zach looked more into the death and he said that John, the man who was hanged, stated that he had just robbed Julia of her jewels. He didn't kill her, but no one believed him. So he was hanged. And I mean, it's a vigilante mob. So I mean, it doesn't matter what you say. They're going to do it. They've made up their mind. But Zach was like, okay, a spirit who hates females is very angry could be this man who, in his eyes, was wrongly accused of murder, or even more. Like, if you really didn't murder Julia, and you were hanged for it, like, you were murdered for it, like, you'd have some pent-up aggression against women. So, on their actual night of the investigation, they placed a trigger object, a gold coin, on the suicide table. Again, like, on that plexiglass. But they really didn't feel anything upstairs, so they moved downstairs to the basement. Billy saw a ball of light go by his legs, which was basically like an orb. And Aaron said he felt like he sprained his ankle out of nowhere. Like, you see him just walking and he's like, oh, like, I mean, the sound he made. I know that feeling of, well, we know Carrie knows the feeling of spraining her ankles. But like, when you just have that weird, like, I might have sprained my ankle, but it was like, oh, it was just like a tinge kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's what he had, but it was like out of nowhere. And then he was fine, you know? But Aaron said he had like tunnel vision for a minute and like started swaying because that pain was just unreal. But then Zach, not to be outdone, you know, said he felt something come over him and the image of an old cowboy flashed in his mind. So he started doing an EVP session. And so Zach was asking if he killed Julia, telling the ghost to speak, you know, all of the things. So Zach started to review the EVP recordings and that's when he felt a presence take over him. Oh my fucking Christ. (laughs) And he couldn't control it. So he started provoking Billy out of nowhere and Zach started trying to process what had like made him so angry because like, you know, again, he was just being back mm-hmm. a fucking stiff wind blew and he's like, oh, I'm possessed. <laughs> I might sound like Dracula. <laughs> so Zach said that <laughs> I'm just thinking of Dracula now, <laughs> but Zach said he felt like he blacked out, but he could remember little snippets of what happened. So So the guys continued to investigate, and during a spirit box session, Aaron asked if Julia was with them, but a male's voice answered and said, he's coming. And then they asked if he killed Julia, and a female's voice answered yes. So they took this as confirmation that Julia was like, yeah, he fucking killed me. Well, and then there is a male voice that sounded like Zach's voice say, listen, from the spirit box. And they were like, whoa, It's mimicking you. But Zach didn't sound like himself at the time because he had the respirator on. Mm -hmm. So it was like it was mimicking his voice from earlier. Like there's no way that Zach said that because, again, he's right, you know, 
Could you tell that I said very muffled? I don't know if you could. No, I didn't. <laughs> it was, I didn't mean to muffle myself that much. Like you literally <laughs> were completely covered. <laughs> I was like the Muppet teacher, yes. you know? <laughs> but you know, because you know what you're saying. So I was like, yes. it kind of sounded like it, but no, I didn't. Not even a little. Then Zach started to feel weak again, which Billy said he had felt earlier when it was just him. And they were all in this certain place, like in that shed part. And then remember the lady had passed out too in that shed. But then the spirit box said ankle, which remember Aaron said it felt like he sprained his ankle out of the blue. So while he's making this connection, Aaron freaks out again because he said something touched his back. And then the spirit box said, take and then Aaron. When Aaron asked who touched his back, there is a female's laugh from the spirit box. And then the box confirmed that there were two spirits there. And again, it had been going between a male and a female voice. So it seemed to confirm that there were, in fact, two spirits they were communicating with. Of course, Billy was stuck back in the shed by himself while they went and investigated. And Billy was using a device where the spirit could touch the screen and basically, like, circle true or false but when he was describing what the spirit could do this the spirit or whatever drew like a cross on the monitor it was more like a capital t and when billy asked if julia was with him it drew a line to the green indicating yes but then it took a little bit darker of a turn when billy felt like he was being attacked and something was hurting against his spine and then the ovulus spelled out murder Billy took a break from the basement. He was like, okay, peace out. And then he went back upstairs to the suicide table. And he used another spirit box. And at that time, it said Jesus and rise again. What? Yes. But what Billy was like, "Uh uh-oh. Because remember, I said when he was with the, the spirit in the basement, it drew that cross. Yeah. So he's like, what the hell? Like, it's just such an odd connection. But also, if you think about, like, gambling's bad, like, you need Jesus, you need all the things, so who knows? But after all their investigation, Zach put a warning out to investigators to, yeah, come investigate the main floor, be upstairs in the apartment, the suicide table, but do not go in that basement. He was like, I... Again, you know, very overdramatic, but he's like, I was not myself. I could have really hurt someone, you know, and like, if you're coming down here just to do it, like, don't. So I didn't focus much on the upstairs because they didn't. But on YouTube, there's a show called Twin Paranormal. And they have a video called Trapped in the Devil Saloon, which is about the Bonanza Saloon. Now, they had said that the upstairs is reportedly haunted by a female because remember I said there had been an apparition of a female waving on the balcony, Mm -hmm. but the upstairs was known to be a boarding house for sex workers and such. And there was a rumor that one of the male patrons became obsessed with one of the women and she was never seen again. No one ever found her body or anything. They don't know what happened to her. But a lot of people said that they believe like she was buried on the grounds. And a lot of people who investigate upstairs seem to experience vertigo. And there's one room upstairs that people feel trapped in when they enter. Once there is a group who was doing an investigation and they were in that room and they asked for a sign if anyone was with them. And there was this old fluorescent light that hadn't worked in over a year and it turned on. 
Now, something else I found out on the Twin Paranormal episode is that there are supposedly the bodies buried in the basement. And that's from like a mob era. So that could definitely add to the energy anyone feels down there. And basically, like, we won't know unless they dig down deep into it. And like, that's like, if something happens to the saloon, they're not just gonna like bust up the stuff down there to see about this, you know? Yeah. But the twin paranormal peeps, they felt heaviness in their chest when they were upstairs. They heard random knocking and walking around and the REM pod kept going off. And so they're like, this is intelligent activity. Now, they had a woman who, like, a voice over the ovulus, the spirit box, and it said their name was Geraldine. Well, and then it said, like, hi, right after that. And so then one of them felt something on their backs, and then the spirit box said, kill healthy. And then it happened here. And then it said sun. So then they started to do the Zach of it all and deduce what, well, also I do it too, to your stories. Like I just like pull everything together, even though there's like not a string connecting it, but you make it. But they said that they believe one of the sex workers from back in the day, maybe she was pregnant and someone killed their baby. So as much as residual energy seemed to be there, it really did seem to be like a lot of spirits were communicating with them. And it was, again, intelligent communication. In the basement, they were asking if anyone was down there with them. And if they were, were they over in the corner? And the box said, yes, over here. And they had like balls that would light up. It looked like those bouncy balls back in the day where like you would do it. And it was like the sneakers that like would have like, yeah, you know I'm talking about that kind of like bright light that would just like randomly strobe. They had those balls and like, they were like, if you touch it, <laughs> if you touch my balls, no, but um, if you touch it, it'll light up. And it would happen like they would touch it and like it was going on and they were like okay can you let go of it and it did and then it was like okay and touch it one more time like so we not know it's not like a fluke like that it's just like it was on and then off yeah and it happened again so again a lot of interaction and at one point the box said gaining more energy what like is it stealing it from them right that's like because that's something that you're always scared about you know like yeah let's interact with them but what if like the more we interact we're actually like feeding them and they are getting stronger because we're just so like mesmerized by it we're so curious and so it's just like curiosity killed the cat but that is the bonanza saloon which reminds me of something that my dad would have loved even though he hated bonanza he loved western movies and stuff hated bonanza because it was always on and he would get so mad about it i don't know maybe i'm just like in the gambling mood or something because i was like all ended this like the wild west kind of thing and then the sadness about the table and just thinking about all the emotions that could be wrapped up in that because i know just going to the casino like yeah you have fun but like when you're losing you really do get down in the dump especially if you're playing where oh shit I really shouldn't have played that extra money because I don't have anything to go off of or, you know, whatever. We've all been there. Oh, yeah. I don't know. You really do feel that desperation. I think like a lot of people say like, if you play scared, you're not going to win. Yes. And that's so true. But like those 
feelings really, just if you think about a casino, there's a lot of fucking energy and emotion that happens there. Because a lot of money is lost and a lot of money is won. Right. Well, and again, I have know I've said this before, but they did not build those big, beautiful casinos off of winners. True. Well, before we continue talking about these casinos and what it means to people, we have to talk about Miracle Made sheets. Because you know what they mean to me? Good night sleep. Y'all, these sheets are so freaking comfortable. Literally the first night we put them on the bed, Colby got in. He goes, are these the new sheets? And I was like, yes. He goes, they're so comfortable. And I was like, ah, no. Right. And then when you're sleeping, you don't overheat. Right. And now it's winter. So normal people, Carrie, will have the heater going, but then you get too hot inside and all, you know, it's all of that. These sheets, they take the guesswork out of it. I'm telling you, your body is just like the perfect temperature all night long. Because your temperature really does have an impact on your night's sleep. If you're constantly in and out of cover all night long, you're tossing, you're turning, you're not sleeping. And Miracle Made sheets fight that. They are inspired by NASA. Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics to make their temperature regulated bedding so that you really do get that perfect night's sleep all night long. Now, even better than that, traditional sheets hold a crap ton of bacteria. Like, literally more than a toilet seat. That leads to allergies, stuffy noses, acne, all the things. Now, Miracle Made has a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding, like pillowcases, sheets, comforters, all that jazz that prevents 99% of bacteria. And even better than that, it requires three times less laundry. Also, if you think about it, let's just be honest. If you're doing what Carrie said, like in and out of the covers all night, you cannot leave your toes exposed because that is what demons like. The monster under my bed's not getting my feet. They're going to be inside because my body temperature regulated. And if you were smart like me and you wore socks... But yes, with Miracle Made's self-cooling properties, self-cleaning properties because of the silver, you are going to sleep great. But these sheets are so comfortable. Aside from how great they clean and how great they cool, they are comfortable. They are luxurious without having the high price tag that you would expect with a luxury brand of sheets. And again, it is holiday season coming up. So they would make the perfect gift for your spouse, your friend, you know, anyone who's a hothead. And guess what? These sheets come with three free towels. So you're really getting two gifts in one. I mean... They ain't got to know that you got those towels for free. They can just be like, dang, you got me a whole... Thank you for my starter kit. That really would be a great, like... First home, dorm room, all the things. These, I'm telling y'all, these sheets are so good. They will not disappoint. Y'all have to get in on this action. Go to trymiracle.com slash creep so that you can try it today or give it a gift to someone special this holiday season. Save over 40%. And if you use our promo code creep at checkout, you'll get those three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product that it's back to the 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you are not 100% satisfied, 
you will be, but if you're not, you're going to get a full refund. So upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash creep and use the code creep to get your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash creep to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. And it really is like when you're going, I don't, I'm assuming it's like this in Las Vegas, but like on your way to the casinos in Mississippi and Louisiana, it's billboard after billboard of advertisements for them. But also like at the bottom of every single one of those, it's a, if you have a problem with gambling, call this 1-800 number for support for your addiction. There really is a lot of trauma and despair also in that fun casino because the person next to you really could be spending their last gold ring and it could it could go from I'm going to lose everything my family has to I just won a lifetime of riches for my family in those split seconds and people do get to that point of despair because they're hoping for that to actually happen and it's not going to yeah if I just come out breaking even I'm winning oh for sure Because I just like to play. So if, like how you were saying earlier about a game, if a game can just keep me playing, it's fine if I don't win $100. I mean, I want to. I would not turn it down. (laughs) But if you can just keep me playing for a couple of hours, that's entertaining to me. I mean, I would do that. I'd spend that money if I went out to eat or if I went to the movies or whatever, you know? Yeah. But you got to keep me entertained that long. I can't lose $60 in five minutes and then be done. And it's like, well, that was a waste, you know? Yeah, because then you get down on yourself and you're like, holy shit, like, what did I just do? I don't know what that says about me that we're talking about all of this. And I'm like, God, I want to go to the casino real bad. No, but it's so true because I do too. And it's like, it's just got such a pull, like pulling that lever. I know the lights, the sounds. But that's why it's addictive. Like it's it's meant to be that. Like uh-huh. it's meant to draw you in and pump an oxygen in the room. There's no fucking windows. You don't know what time it is. Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Because they want you to sit there for hours on end. When knowing the only fucking machine you're winning on is the ATM. Uh-huh. You don't have to look over here because I know. I really do hate the name of that table, though. Me too. Me too. People are just so, I don't know if courageous is the right word to use, but to own the things that they own. Like, I would never own that table. As much as I have, like, a okay about, like, ghost stories and stuff, I have a healthy fear of, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to own a table called the suicide table. Yeah. I'm not going to play with a Ouija board. Like, I have a, a healthy fear where I don't necessarily believe it, but I'm going to respect it enough in case it's real, it's not going to come at me. Right. Well, because this is basically like a treasure because it's an antique. It, you know, it's like the only one still in in existence and all of that. And so it is something that, you know, you would find in like a museum somewhere. So I understand that. But yeah, I wouldn't own it either. But even like Zach and his museum, the stuff that he has there, like it is. I mean, I want to go to that museum, but I'm also very terrified of that museum. Yeah, same. Y'all let us know what y'all think about this story and my story. Who do you think did it? Do you really think that it was Francis and her brothers? Do you think that James had something to do with it? The amount of overkill for Eleanor it just really shows that she was the target. Mm-hmm. So to what end? Was it her husband targeting her? Was it Francis targeting her? Like, why was she the target? Was it something completely separate? And it really did have to do with the fact that Edward was rich and she was not or was you know what was it 
Yeah. Y'all let us know what you think. Thank y'all so much for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things, and remember. Creep it real and don't don't get scared. scared.